All right, good morning. Good to see everyone on this beautiful day. I'm going <clears> to <throat> give just an announcement and then open up in, in prayer for us. So a couple things that looking forward to this fourth panel this year. <clears throat> Part of the desire is having additional people come in <clears throat> and, and speak truth to us as well. So that's, uh, these panels have been an opportunity for us to have a guest uh, speakers come in and help with that. And also a chance for you guys to ask questions. So here's going to be the same thing. At the end, we'll have a Q&A time. We'll see how much time we have, but try to give a chance for you guys to ask some of your questions. The desire is to give you the tools to be able to answer some of these questions that are out there in society, that are um, things that are you see and hear about all the time now. How do we respond to it? How do we process it? How do we think through it? And what's a <clears throat> biblical foundation for it? What's the biblical perspective on it? And how do we respond with that? So we just want to equip you and give you the tools to do that. So today's going to be a great panel. Looking forward to these men being here and sharing with you. One little update on Mr. Warner. He, I, I saw him last night. Uh, he's upbeat and can't wait to get back here. He won't be able to swing a baseball bat for a long time. So don't expect him to swing a bat because... After having open heart surgery, they break through here, and there's no way he's going to swing anything. But he's excited about coming back. He's, we're hoping he'll be discharged at the end of today. So he might, he might come in school and just uh, say hi a little bit next week. But uh, we're praying for, for a good and speedy recovery. Those of you as well, um, just give a little update. I've sent this off to parents, but those who had Carlton Payne, know Mr. Payne, who had to leave of cancer, um, he's doing well. He has surgery on June 21st. That should be his final surgery, four weeks of recovery. And talked to him on the phone two days ago. And he's looking forward to coming back. He's graduating with his master's liberty here next month. So, Lord willing, we'll have a Mr. Werner healthy in the fall. We'll have a Carlton Payne healthy in, in the fall. So we're just really thankful for, for these two situations and how God has allowed that to be. So, Good to see everyone today, and we open up with a prayer and turn our time over to the worship team. Father, we commit this time to you, Lord. We are thankful that you've revealed yourself to us. You've given us your word, and in your word, you've given us the tools to understand not just life, but how to interpret what we're experiencing. Lord, today we live in society where so many things have, have changed in the last few years. Lord, help us to go to your word and to trust your word and trust you in this, Lord. So I just pray today, thank you for these men that are here, that will be sharing with us, uh, that you might just uh, give us clarity, Lord, on this subject. And thank you for Mr. Hunter and putting all these things together and for this, these students that uh, participate in the worship time this morning as well. We commit this to you, Lord, in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can take a seat. If Dr. Farrell would like to, to come up. We can go ahead and move into the first part here. Great. Well, how are you all today on Friday? Better than you were on Monday, I guess, right? Well, my job in the next uh, 10 minutes, if my Bible will stay open here, um, is to give you kind of a biblical foundation about what we're going to be, going to be talking about uh, today which has to do with gender and sexuality and things that you hear uh, spoken about in the culture fairly regularly. And um, 
Just about two weeks ago, I was invited, I think it was about two weeks, it might have been a week or so ago, uh, to Liberty University's law school to speak on the same topic. A little bit different uh, slant there. The topic that I was assigned uh, for that was how do you evangelize somebody who would identify as LGBTQIA+. And I had a hard time getting through all of those, those acronyms. Or... Uh, uh, is there such a thing as a gay Christian? And then what do you do with, with somebody like that? So where do you even start with that, that kind of topic? Um, well, uh, if in any of the discussions about things like this, um, you have to begin with, with an authority. And I do this almost every single new member at Timberlake. Um, and this is just a paradigm to think through. I think this will be helpful uh, for you. How a person lives their life, what they do, how they behave, the choices that they make, um, their attitudes about, about God, about life, about marriage, about work, uh, just what they choose to do. How a person lives is based on what they believe, a belief system. Um, the Bible says, as a person thinks in their heart, so, so are they. So what you choose to do, how you live, is based on a set of beliefs. This is what I believe. Now, before I came to Christ, that was a bunch of different stuff. What my parents taught me, what I watched on National Geographic, what I learned from my grandfather, just kind of this hodgepodge of beliefs. And then I made decisions and choices through those beliefs. I, 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 I had to decide what am I going to be when I grow up or who am I going to date or whatever it might be. It was filtered through those beliefs and then I made choices and, and decisions. So how a person lives their life, what comes out of their, 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 their lives uh, is based on what they believe. It's been filtered through that. Now there's something behind the beliefs. There is an authority. This is true for everybody, not just for Christians. Everybody has an authority that's creating their belief system that's then translating into how they, they live their, their life. For a Christian, this authority is already settled. Like one of the first things that you acknowledge in, in becoming a Christian is that you're not the authority. There's a God, he's the authority. Jesus is Lord and he's also Christ. That's what the apostles preached. That, that's the Christian gospel. There's a God. His name is Jesus. He's our authority. And he's also our savior. He, he doesn't just say, I'm the authority. Climb up to me. He says, I'm the authority and I stoop down to you and meet you in your sin and help you. So the first things that you acknowledge as a Christian is God is our authority. So that's where you start as, as a believer. That's already settled if you're a Christian this morning. God's our authority. Well, how do we know what God says and what God commands and how do we know what is authority? Uh, how, how, does that, how does that translate into our lives? Well, this same God gave us the Bible to, to tell us this is my authority. This is how I want you to live. So for a Christian, the authority is settled and then that turns into this is what we believe. This is what we do. The Bible doesn't just tell you what to do. It tells you what to think. 
because you don't know how to think properly because you're of the fall, because you're, you're, you're born in sin. And then that translates into your, your life. So now put that paradigm into, into gender and sexuality and all of those things. You have to go back and say, what does God say? What is, how did he make us? How did he say that, that he created? And then that turns into our beliefs about the way we're filtering decisions through this belief based on that authority. And then that comes out in our, you know, in our, in our life. So under that paradigm, that system, you would go back to, to Genesis because that's where it, where it all began. In fact, that's exactly where Jesus appeals to um, in the beginning. So here's the one who was there telling us how he made human beings. Is, this is, so it's Genesis 26 and 27. Um, and you probably know these passages. This is God who says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and all the other things that creep on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that, that moves. And so verse 26 tells us what, what God intends to do. Verse 27 tells us what God did. And then verse 28 tells us how we're supposed to, you know, those to, are supposed to, to function. So biblical uh, distinctions are rooted in creation. So God made men and women different. He made human beings different. And then he says he made human beings to, uh, to, to, to bear God's image, both male and female. And then he gave them specific things to do on the earth. Specifically to, to multiply and subdue, take, take dominion over the earth. And so it's very clear from Genesis that God made us different from animals. Um, what makes us different from, from animals? Well, we bear God's image. We are made in the image of God, which is, is very different. I mean, animals are an amazing creation, but they're not as amazing as, as human beings. Why? Because God, who was there, specifically created and designed us to be, uh, to be image bearers. Well, what does it mean to bear God's image? What makes us different from, from animals? Well, you have some different faculties that, that animals don't have. You, you, you can rationalize, you can think, you can create, you, 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 you bear, you know, you have a, a will and a mind and an emotion, but ultimately this idea of being an image bearer is that, that you're God's representative on the earth. So the creator made you to do some specific things, which is what he says in verse 28, to, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So you were created as an image bearer to fulfill what God commands all human beings to do. And then he says in this second verse that 
He made you as an image bearer, male and female. Now, there's some important things I, 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 I want to point out to you about, about the word. First of all, it says that both males and females bear God's image, meaning that one doesn't have more of it than the other. Um, it's not that uh, boys have more of God's image than girls, and so when they get married, now you complete one another. One has a part and one has another part. You're both image bearers as human beings. And then as part of bearing that image, that image comes out either in a masculine form or a feminine form, and both of those are required to do what then God calls us as his representatives to do on the earth, which is to be fruitful, multiply, and, and then have dominion or take, take dominion. Meaning that if there is no image, if you're not made distinct and different from the animals, then everything falls apart. If there is not males and females that are distinctly bearing God's image, both bearing it, but just bearing it in distinct ways, then, then everything falls apart. And you're unable to then accomplish what God gave us. What, what did he call us to do based on Genesis? We're, we're to be, we're to multiply, which means marry and have children. And you can say, well, there's passages in the Bible that, that talk about people who don't do that. That's, that's true. This is an exception. This is the general rule here in Genesis. This is how God designed it generally. That there's not an exception being somebody who's single their whole life. They have the gift of singles. They're never called to, to be married. Or somebody that's married and can't have children. That, those, are, those are exceptions. But the general rule is that God created human beings to bear his image, animals, and that means we're his representatives on the earth, and he made a female to carry out what he, he commanded us to do, which is to marry and have children, and then take dominion. What does dominion mean? Dominion means that we take all that God has created and we make it useful. Um, some of you may hear the term human flourishing. Uh, you take the resources that God has created and you rule over it and you, you make a better world out of it. You, you, you don't abuse them. You, you use it in a way that's, that's positive under the, under the, the reign of, of God. That's how God has designed uh, creation, designed men and women, uh, boys and girls, males and females, in, in Genesis. Now, then everything else in the Bible tells us how that works out in life, answers questions, uh, describes to us how sin has messed all of that up, uh, and then how to recover you know, that, which then, when you live in the world, this is something else I would, I would just say before we go to the question and answer. That's in Genesis 1 and 2. So here's a perfect world. and perfect men and women, Adam and Eve had not sinned at that point, and it's a great place. But then Genesis 3, it falls apart. And it rebels God, and in rebelling against God, um, it, it trashes the whole thing. And so now we, you and me, live on the other side of Genesis 3. We don't 
live where there's no sin in a perfect relationship with God. We now live outside of the garden. And outside of the garden, there are crooked things and hard things and perverted things and broken things. And, and so you might find yourself as a Christian living outside of the garden with lots of questions and lots of, of hardships and difficulties. Uh, and so that's what we're going to try to answer when we go to the Q&A. What do you do? And now I'm living outside of the garden, Pastor Brian, and there's, I've got these questions and people are saying this that's contrary to what you just said. So how do I, I have these feelings, I have these thoughts. How do I process that? And that's what we're going to try to, to do in the, in the Q&A. Yeah? All right. All right. Stand up with us again. We're going to sing another song. Thank you so much, Dr. Farrell. That was really helpful. All right. So before we get into our discussion, let me just make sure we all know who our guests are. I realized when Dr. Farrell came up, for me, he's my pastor at church, so I automatically know who he is, but not all of you guys always. This is Dr. Farrell. He's the senior pastor at Timberlake Baptist Church. Um, he's a professor at the Expositor Seminary, um, and he, like I mentioned to at least the parents, some of you guys know, last summer at our church, he did a summer Sunday night series on Genesis 1 through 3. Really just, he did a super short condensed version of it just now. Um, but he applied that towards the transgender issue, the LGBT issue, and I thought it was really helpful, and that's kind of what spurred me towards even planning this chapel, is based on that, that series and how helpful I thought it was. And so alongside him today, we have Matt St. Clair. He's uh, the children's director or pastor at, at Timberlake, um, and so he oversees the children's ministry. He's always here on Wednesdays as well, so you probably see him around. He teaches the elementary chapel here, but specifically with his ministry to families, um, thought this was kind of an important subject kind of in his wheelhouse there and what he kind of has to look at there. And then also we have Tim Moshira. Tim Moshira is a pastoral assistant at our church. Um, and then he also is a professor at the Expositor Seminary as well. And uh, specifically asked him because Tim is just really, really good with you know, the biblical languages and looking at the text. And I just appreciate his, his kind of input and angle on it. Um, even we had a discussion the other, day, the other day, Matt and Tim and I, and I thought it was really, really helpful. A lot of good stuff. So we'll jump right into the questions. And uh, we're going to do a couple of questions that we have here. And as you start thinking of questions, um, go ahead and, you know, get those ready. Mr. Abbott is going to have a microphone. He'll be coming around to people with questions. Um, and he'll ask first that you just at least let him know your question. And then we'll ask the question. And that's just because with this subject area, there's a lot of different directions this can go, right? And so we just want to make sure as best as we can that we're guarding and pushing towards the biblical principles that equip us to deal with the issues, if that makes any sense to you. So Mr. Abbott will be walking around. I think Mr. Thomas might be with him, helping him look for people with questions, and you'll just tell him your question first, and then he'll be able to help you with that, and you'll be able to ask your question. That sound good? So we'll start with some questions um, that we already have up here first. So the first question I have, um, let's see. Let's, uh, let's start with the transgender issue a little bit first, okay? Um, so I'll go to Tim first, if that's okay. And how many, so we're talking about genders. Dr. Farrell just talked about from Genesis 1 and 2, how God lays down this design of there being only two genders. So from that, what's wrong with the modern concepts we hear quite often about a gender spectrum? How would that relate to that concept? Yeah, well, obviously, as we dig into these things, we always want to be responding not from uh, just some kind of cultural position, but from the biblical text, what has God said? So let's just begin by going back there to, to Genesis 2. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to just turn there. And I'll say, first of all, terminology is important here. 
Um, you know, you mentioned two genders. So much of the debate depends upon a strong dichotomy being created between gender and sex, with gender usually referring to this more amorphous category of what someone feels, th their identity in terms of like what they feel inwardly, and it's hard to define because it is somewhat amorphous. And then on the other hand, biological sex. So within this, I think we'll probably in other questions get yeah. to that critical piece. So I'm just going to assume here that we're talking mostly about sex, that there were two sexes created at creation. Um, so obviously, Pastor Farrell first took us to uh, Genesis 1.27, where we see that God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. And then we specifically hear male and female, he created them. So there are these two sexes that make up humanity, right? Humanity comes in two sexes, and there, there it's laid out for us. But as you go then into Genesis 2, this is reinforced and made a little bit clearer, especially in light of some potential objections to the significance of Genesis 1.27. First, we see that God first created man, right? A male. Then he created a female. And why did he create a female? Because there was, we could say, something lacking in his creation that, that couldn't be accomplished with just a male on the planet. There needed to be a female there as well. So we see that that sex difference is not irrelevant. It's not interchangeable. The assumption is that there's an, a fundamental identity with the male that he can't perform the functions of a female. He couldn't become a female. He is a male. And then because we see that God is intentional to create a female, that the fact that there is a second sex is not just coincidental. It was actually part of God's intentionality. So just thinking that through, God's creation of a second sex came about from a deliberate purpose, right? Also, we can see here in Genesis 2 that there was a need for uh, like a deliberate act of special creation, we might say. In other words, God had to actually take a step himself to create a second sex. It wasn't something that just simply arose within humanity kind of subsequently further down the line. God actually had to create it. And then also, we see that apparently, well, I should say apparently, it's very clear that after God creates woman, that that, that combination of man and woman together representing him, it's very good at that point, right? There's no need for anything additional. So I think just several things we can infer from that. One is we can see that there's no reason to expect that additional sexes would emerge subsequently. God's created two. He saw there was a need for two. And then he said it was good after that. Also, we can see here in Genesis 2 that a person apparently can't change themselves from one sex to another. Just having the male wasn't sufficient. He had to actually create a different type of person to be a female. And that also, and this is really important, sometimes it's claimed that the fact that there are only two sexes in Genesis 1 and 2 is because, well, it's coincidental. There were only two people. 
there's only two people, if each person's one sex, there can't be more than that. But I think that the observations we just made indicate that's not coincidental. That if there was a need for more sexes, God would have created more. But there's not a need, and there seems to be a ecstaticness about those sexes. Um, now, of course, there's a common objection. You guys might be aware of the, the common objection to this. It's often raised is, well, what about those people who are born post-fall? Pastor Farrell mentioned that Genesis 3 introduces a lot of complications, doesn't it? After the fall, there are people born, and the statistics are, they vary widely depending upon kind of someone's perspective on this, but there are people who just have, we might say, there's an ambiguous, an ambiguity and indistinctness to their sex. And it's often argued that, that proves that there aren't just simply two sexes. But to move from that observation biologically to the idea that there's more than one, more than two sexes requires that that, that person who's got an indistinctness in their sex actually constitute a third sex. But the commonly accepted term for that itself, intersex, claims that, no, there's still two sexes, and it happens to just be indistinct between those two. Do you guys see the difference? Here's an example from the ancient world. A biblical category for this would be like in, in Matthew 19, right? A eunuch from birth. A eunuch from birth would kind of fall into this category. And yet, in the ancient world, what is a eunuch considered? Is he a third sex? No, he's a man who, because of the fall, something hasn't been created quite as God's good design intended, but he's still a male. Do you guys see that? So I think that that whole objection only is significant at all to the argument that there's only two sexes if we don't think about it. But if we actually think about it, we realize, no, it still assumes there's two sexes and that the fall just messes things up such that it's, there's some measure of indistinctness there. Okay, that's good. So the, the main idea we're looking at then is that basically when God created two genders in Genesis 1 and 2, that's not arbitrary, right? And there's purpose for that, even in how that works itself out in every single human being, after the fall even. And so that leads to a question for Matt. From that, we, we hear these common arguments um, in our culture. I know uh, there's a book, uh, we actually did our faculty orientation on it last year, right? Strange New World, related from Carl Truman's The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And he talks at the beginning of that about that if his grandpa was to hear, and he's you know, probably in his, a man in his, his 50s, I believe, he said, if my grandfather were to hear the phrase, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, he would think it was a joke. He'd think it was a comedy show on TV. But in our, in our culture, currently, that phrase is commonly accepted. Somebody can say, I, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, and we're supposed to ex accept that. Or the reverse, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body. How would that relate then to the gender distinctions we see in Genesis 1? And is that, how do we think about that sort of terminology as Christians, Matt? Yeah, going off of uh, what Pastor Farrell started with and then uh, what Tim's explaining, you know, this goes all the way back to Genesis and the creeping in of sin, uh, which ultimately what sin does is it perverts. It takes what is natural, what is good, and makes it unnatural, makes it bad. And so what God had perfectly intended uh, in his good creation, sin has now come in and corrupted. And so if somebody's talking to me and they're saying, you know, Pastor Matt, um, 
I'm dealing with this where, you know, I, I, know, I'm a, I know I'm a guy, but um, I, I feel like really, you know, since a young age, I've, I've been a girl or, or I am a girl inside and I don't know how to, how to handle that. And so, you know, what I would begin to say is that, you know, sin is corrupting what it does to our minds. This is oftentimes when people are saying this is, is I feel or I think and I think in this way or I feel in this way. And the Bible clearly states that uh, our thinking and our feelings are corrupted even from birth. You know, what we feel, what we think, we can't allow those things to necessarily drive our, our emotions. They cannot drive what is, what is reality, what is actual. And so what you need to do at that moment is to begin to say, what has God intended for me? What is God's purpose in my creation? Well, you are a boy. You are a male. God intended for you to be a male. Or if you are a girl, God intended for you to be a girl. In your sinful state, you are in, in a sinful mind. It has been corrupted to where you're thinking, well, I have these feelings. I have these longings. And so God has said that we are to take every thought captive. Paul says that in, in the letter. He says, we are to take those thoughts captive. And in Ephesians, he goes on, he says, we are to put off that old way of thinking and we're put on the new way of thinking. So how do you do that? You go back to the scriptures and say, what, what am I? Who am I? Well, God has created me to be a male. He has created me to be a female. And how do I identify with that? Well, if you are a new creature, if you are in Christ, Christ is, is calling you to follow after him and thinking rightly about these things. So you're to resist the temptation to think wrongly, and that is, you know, I, I, I'm a guy, but I enjoy these things that are girly, or I'm a girl, and I enjoy these things that are, that are boy uh, or guy-related. And you're to re redirect that thinking, put off the old and put on the new. Go back to what God has stated and repent, repent of that thinking. You know, trust that, that God will give you the right thinking, the right way of living to follow after him. You know, don't allow that perversion to, to take stronghold uh, so that that then leads you down a path of, of sin and a path of, of un ambiguity and, and unclarity. God doesn't desire for us to, to walk in that way. He wants us to walk in truth. He wants us to, to be clear. He wants us to, to know what is, what is right and what is good. You know, so allow him to direct you in that way. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so, so we've seen right offhand on the transgender issue, right? God's design and creation with male and female is not, it's not just something that we just throw away. It's, it's, it's purposeful and it's meaningful in God's plan. And anything that we see um, contrary to that, even the way that we feel, comes as a result of the fall, right? This is a biblical worldview, basically. Creation and then fall. And then we, we're going to talk more about how Jesus can then redeem the people, right? They can find forgiveness. His mercy is more, as we just sung. But there's a student-submitted question uh, for Dr. Farrell here that kind of launching off of that. We were going to talk about this anyway, but I know uh, some students had asked about this specifically. What do we do then as Christians when we have a neighbor, a friend, who claims they're transgender, or, or maybe they're even, you know, claiming they're, they're not a gender, you know, they're, they're claiming they're a third thing, they're, whatever they have, and they want you to use different pronouns or a different name for them. How, how do we interact with those individuals as believers? I was hoping you would tell me whenever, you know. No, that, um, so there's a couple things there. Uh, 
some principles. One, um, you're a Christian and they're not. So just understand that paradigm we started with, what a person chooses to do, what they choose to think, is coming out of a belief system. And then that's based on an authority. So for somebody who would claim to be transgender and want you to call them, you know, she, her, whenever they're a boy, or they, sir, or they, the, or all the other things that, that are out there, they're not operating with the same thinking that, that you are. They have a completely different belief system. Their authority is actually coming from the culture, what they feel, uh, what, they've been, what they've been taught. Really, internally, that's their authority. And then that translates into a set of beliefs, and then that translates in how they're, they're behaving. So, in one sense, you don't expect an unbeliever to act like a believer. So, don't be shocked that there are people that do that or say that. Don't be offended by that. These are unbelieving people. They, they haven't been redeemed by Christ, and they have a completely different, you know, authority. So, they're not your enemy they're actually your mission field. You, they're the people that you want to bring under the, under the gospel. So it's not your job to be, you know, a cultural warrior and blow them up and set them straight and, and anything else. So just be aware of that. Don't expect an unbeliever to act like a, like a believer. Now, on the flip side of that, you are a believer. So you do have an authority and you do have... A belief system, and we've talked about both of those this morning, you understand there is one God, and he is the creator of not only you, but this person. And so you can't deny that in order to make them feel good. So you can't deny God and actually do them harm by lying against the truth, by calling them something that's untrue. So now, there's a difference between using a name, I think, and using a, a pronoun. So, again, these are hard things. You, the best of your ability to be at peace with all men. Don't run around and just be a nasty human being. Be kind and compassionate toward, toward other people. Understand where they're, where they're coming from. But you can't agree with something that is false or untrue. So, how do you do that? Well, if somebody uh, asks you to call them she whenever they're clearly a, a, a boy or, or, or a male, you want to make sure that you communicate to them, you, you, you care about them, but you can't do that because you know I'm a Christian and I understand the world to be created by God and he made male and female. So you have to communicate to them in some way you can't do that, not because you're being ugly or nasty, but because you can't. Like, you're bound by truth. Um, and the truth is you believe that there's males and, and, and females. Now, if they ask you to call them Sue or, or Charlie whenever they're, you know, let's take the Charlie one. Um, you, I, I, well, my name is Charlie, even though they're, you know, they're, they're a girl. Um, you may say, well, that, that's, that's a strange name for, you know, for, for a girl. I understand that's a nickname, which that's not strange. But it, I think that's different from a pronoun. 
I mean, my name is Brian. What, what makes my name, you know, not weird to you? Well, it might be weird, um, but that's, that's my name. So I, I don't put that in the same category as, as pronouns. If somebody asks you to call them, you know, whatever, chocolate milk, I mean, if that's their given name or the name that they want to go by, then, then that might be strange, but that's not denying the truth. That's not, that's not the same as a, you know, as a, as a pronoun. So they, just like they would, they're, they're going to appeal to you saying, you, you know, you should do this out of respect for me. You just turn that right back around. You know, I do respect you as a human being because you're created in the image of God, but I can't do that so you need to respect me, you know, as well. So just be kind. Will everybody understand that? No, because they're not operating with some, the same authority, but you can't deny God um, in order to, to make them happy or feel, feel good. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Uh, let's actually stick with you, Dr. Farrell, if that's okay for a moment. Yeah, sure. Um, and let's kind of, we're going to flip to the homosexuality issue because I think sometimes in our culture, and this is something I don't think we realize, really these are all different issues. Like each of those letters in the LGBT acronym is a different set of issues. And there's like an alliance between them, but a lot of times that alliance is not as strong as you might think it is. They're very different philosophical ideas. So we've talked about transgenderism and God's design in male and female, and really then linking to homosexuality, how those males and females relate to one another is a different question, right? We're not talking about whether they're a male and female, our gender, a, 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 you know, a, a standard within the, the G of the LGBT homosexual would agree with that, but then they just say that the, how those human beings relate to one another is different. So thinking about that, quite often as Christians, it's hard for us to see why if there's a monogamous homosexual couple and they, you know, they have a white picket fence and the lawn and the dog and the nice house and they, they contribute to their community and they serve in nonprofits and they do all these good things, What's so wrong with that? Why is that so bad? What, what's so bad about homosexuality anyway? Well, um, I, again, I think you're back to the same paradigm. So homosexuality is different from what is commonly called same-sex desires, or there's desires that then lead into actions. Um, but as Matt pointed out, God rules over both. So God doesn't just condemn us for our behaviors. He applies his law to the desires of our heart um, and our thinking. What's the evidence for that? Well, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard, thou shall not commit adultery, but I say unto you, if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you have already committed adultery. So what does that mean? Does that mean um, doing things, you know, uh, perverted things is equated with thinking perverted things? No. You know, just like the, the one with anger, thou shalt not kill. You've heard that. But I say if you're angry with your brother, you've already violated that law. So getting angry with somebody, is Jesus equating that with killing somebody? No. You know, one can be worse than the other. But what he's saying is God's law. You're guilty before God when you get angry in your heart with that person. I hate that person. I want to hurt that person. Now, that's not, the, not as bad as then acting on that. Uh, 
but both of them are condemned by God. So homosexual behavior is condemned by God. It's forbidden by God in the same way that God forbids other behaviors. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And that happens where you leave father and mother and cleave. So just as God says it's natural and it's good to desire your wife or your husband, God also says it's forbidden to desire another man's wife or another woman's husband. So there's a natural desire that God's given, but he's put a boundary on it. And it's wrong to even want or to desire. So put that in the paradigm of same-sex attraction, homosexuality. These behaviors are wrong. They're sinful because God has declared that. And to desire that is also wrong or sinful. Is having those desires equated to doing it? No. But they're still sinful and they're still wrong. The Bible calls them inordinate desires. So first of all, what's wrong with it? It's condemned by God. Um, and then anything that's condemned by God is not because he's a killjoy. It's because that brings harm to you and to God's glory. So ultimately, it's about God. He's the whole reason we're here. It's not that God's there and we're here and we get to do what we want to do. And if it makes us happy or feel good, then God's to go along with it. It's the inverse of that. God created you for him. You answer to him. It's all about his glory. So that doesn't glorify God. But God also loves us and he cares about us. So anything that he forbids is, is not good for us. It's not fulfilling. So what you described about the White House and the picket fence and the dogs and all of that, all you're seeing there is what's on the outside. What's happening inside that house is domestic violence, substance abuse, anger, fear, depression, anxiety, all kinds of other things that are really, really bad. And you're tempted to see what looks like on the outside and then draw a conclusion that this must be good when that's not the case. And you know that even from the social media world that you, you live in. You see a picture and it looks really good, but it could be photoshopped. Or if you actually know that person, you go, that's not what they really are. That's not what's really going on. So don't be duped and think that, that this is all good and they're fulfilled because they're not. Um, it's a really bad thing. All right. That might be a good spot to go to some student questions if we have any. Does anybody have any questions that they would like to ask? We've got a couple different hands up. Got one right here in the back row with Jake over there. Let's see what Jake has to ask over here. Perfect. So could um, being transgender be a coping mechanism for other past dramas? Could someone being transgender be a response to past trauma or like a coping mechanism? Oh, sure. Yeah, 100%. Um, we live in a broken world and really bad things can happen to people and then it manifests or comes out. That doesn't change whether it's right or, or, or wrong and it doesn't change whether it's acceptable. But that's why you have to be very 
careful and compassionate and caring. Look, we're all dysfunctional in here. You all come from dysfunctional families. My family's dysfunctional because we're sinners. That's what dysfunction is. We are not functioning the way that God designed us. So someone can have a situation that has happened to them, um, abuse, any number of other things, broken home, and that has then led them or influenced them in certain ways to respond rather than turning toward God uh, for healing and help. They've turned another way. Somebody else has influenced them that this is, this is, will make you. And so the answer is the gospel, and you have to be very compassionate there, which is why I was saying even with the pronoun thing, you don't want to be ugly or nasty. You don't know what that person's going through. What you can't do is, it, it, is, is leave them there. You know, God accepts us as we are in all of our mess, but he doesn't leave us there. You know, we sing just as I am. So we come to God just as we are, acknowledging that we're, we're not what we need to be, but then God loves us enough not to leave us there. So that would be, that would be a, the goal would, would, would be to help them. Not, it's not compassionate to, to leave them there. Um, and you might not be the person that helps them, you know, fix everything. But yeah, that, that can definitely be, be, a, be a response. Just like whenever I was an unbeliever, I responded to all kinds of stuff, bad junk that happened in my life in sinful ways. I drank alcohol. I, you know, I, I ran around and did other sinful things. But I'm still responsible for that. But you have to be aware of, of what's in the background. I'm working now, Paul. Or, oh, yeah, it is. All right, who's next? What question we have next? Mackenzie here? Okay. Um, is it possible to, like, love God and, like, follow him and, like, follow Jesus but also be gay at the same time? Yeah. So who wants to take that one? Jew? Is it possible to be a Christian and be gay at the same time? Do you want to? Sure. Sure, okay. Um... Unless you guys want to answer it. Fill in the gaps. Fill in the gaps. All right. Um, so the, the, the simple answer, that's no. Uh, because you're identified not as a gay Christian any more than you would identify as, you know, an adulterous Christian or a thieving Christian or a a lying Christian. So if God declares something as sinful, then you can't attach that to what it means to be a Christian. Uh, what is the proof of that? First Corinthians, where Paul says, um, these types of behaviors, people that are associated with these types of behaviors, homosexuality, lying, adultery, idolatry will not inherit the kingdom of heaven and then it says but such were some of you so now you're identified as a christian not with your former sin but with christ being a christian means a little christ so to say you're a gay christian would mean that you're associating with sin and that's still operating in your life and i'm also submitting to god and following him and so those two things don't, don't go together. 
is it possible for somebody to be a believer, genuinely saved, and have struggles, have temptations that they're battling against, or confusions? Sure. Yeah, you can be confused. You can have desires. I mean, that's the whole idea behind, um, uh, I mean, temptations. What comes When I get saved, my, the penalty of my sin is dealt with. But the power of it is, is you know, I'm, I'm overcoming in my, in my life. But if I'm a Christian, I would be fighting against that. I would be repenting of that. I would say I don't want that. I would be getting help for that. Um, and so it's more of your attitude toward it. So if, if you're saying, can somebody say, this is what I am and I have no problem with that and I'm a Christian, then I would say that's contrary to the Bible. If someone would say, I'm a Christian and yet I struggle in these ways, have these temptations, then that's different. And I would say, yeah, you know. All right, who else has a question? Lydia. Just a couple more minutes left, so we'll try to maybe get maybe some quick answer rapid fire on it a little bit so we can get in. Yes, ma'am. So some people claim to be gay or stuff like that and then turn around and claim that they're a Christian. Yeah. What should we do about that if we come across someone who Okay, so related to the last question, then what do you do with somebody who comes to you and says they're a Christian, but then they also claim, well, I'm also gay, and they're defining themselves that way? What do you guys want to take that one? Matt, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. um, Do you want to address that last question? in sense of the gospel. So um, an individual that is identifying that way and they're coming to you, they're a friend of yours or family member, um, you're, you have an opportunity there to speak truth into darkness. And so they're coming to you with a corrupt mind, with a sinful mind. And um, they're identifying as something that is contrary to what God has created and what his, his model for Uh, man or woman is supposed to be well there's hope for that individual you know they are not left to live in their sin they are not left to continue in that way and that's that's because of the the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ you know that individual no longer has to walk in darkness they can walk in light and you have a perfect opportunity to share that with them and oftentimes what churches and uh, Christians uh, today you know have have had struggles with is is that they come down hard upon them upon these individuals you know upon the sin and uh, we condemn the individual you know to the point of where they're hardened against that gospel you know we're, we're unwilling to bring them and show them that this is this is who you are to be in God this is who you are to be in Christ and what his desire is for you. And um, they, they're living in a hopeless state. And so you bring them, you bring them to the scriptures. You bring them to the, uh, the truth. And you show them that they are walking in a way that is contrary to what God has created, just like I was before I was a Christian. I lived in a way that was uh, against God. I was rebellious. I didn't love him, I rejected him, I wanted my own way, I was my own God, 
And yet God, Ephesians, who is rich in mercy, has, has brought forth light and truth in my life that has shown me my sin. And he says, you no longer have to walk in that way. And he's given us everything that we need to transform, to be made new creatures in Christ. And you present that truth to them and you give them the opportunity to respond to that and that God in that mercy would save them and make them a new creature as well. And that's, that's really what your desire is, is your desire is to share the gospel, the good news. You, you've, you help them see that this is not in accordance with what God has planned and created, but he has a way to perfect it, to undo and to create new. So uh, we're going to do one more question here. Ooh, one more question, and the bell might ring, okay? If the bell rings, stay seated and wait. We'll pray to dismiss in a minute, okay? But one last question, because I think this is important. All right, listen. Let's say there's somebody here, and they're hearing all of this, and they're either feeling offended, convicted, frustrated, whatever it is. And we're, again, we're trying to communicate the truth that God's word has to say. Dr. Farrell, what would you want to say to that individual who's feeling convicted, doesn't know what to do next, feeling even just, I, I can't stand what they're saying? What truth would you want to leave them with to, to close out the chapel? God loves you. Um, more than you could ever grasp or imagine. Uh, he made you. And part of love is to not leave you alone. And alone in your confusion or frustration or even anger. Um, and part of that love is to tell you what can help you, which is truth. And so just realize that if you feel that way, it, it's not directed, I don't take that personally, it's not directed at anybody up here. It's really directed toward, toward the very person who could help you. Um, and I can promise you it won't end well if you keep walking away from him. You have to turn and walk toward him. Um, and you don't have to go really far because he came to you. I mean, every other religion in the world says, here's God, here's religion, here's right and wrong. You come up to God. You climb up some way. You pray, you do this, you sacrifice, you change your... But the gospel, the good news is that God came to you and he didn't have to. We created the mess that we're in. Now, you might say, I didn't create the mess I'm in. My parents did or this or that or this person did that to me. And, and some of that may be partially true. But this same God loves you to come to you in the person of Jesus Christ to lay down his life as a, as a sacrifice, as a substitute. He took your place. And then he offers you new life, not old life, not... Not your desires remade, but a completely new creation. He can make you, um, but you have to come to him and receive his offer. So that's what I'd say. All right. Tim's going to close us in prayer here. And these guys will be around for a couple minutes afterwards if anybody has any further questions or anything. Thank you, guys. Lord, we do thank you for your word. As Matt even reminded us with, with some of the things he said, 
we can't trust our desires. We can't trust our observations of what we see around us. We can't trust our own reasoning. That was the fundamental issue in the garden. Um, we, we need you to give us instruction from outside of us and to yield everything we are to that which is outside of us, that, that revelation you've given. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help all of these uh, young men and women here to grasp that fundamental peace because that will be so helpful for them in, in every aspect of engaging life. Uh, and as they continue to think then through the nuances, both in their own hearts as well as engaging with others around them. I pray you would grow them in wisdom as they seek to do that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.